This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. So you'll pick me up tonight at 745? Oh, well, no, I got a few things that to take care of first, but what, why don't we make it quarter to eight? <laughs> Stop it. Okay, 7.45. Live from YouTube, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how do you know if you're retiring at the worst moment ever? Today, we'll settle the matter once and for all. That or, you know, we're just going to yell at each other about it for a while. To lead the way, we welcome the author of Personal Finance and Investing, Kyle Landis Marinello. Then, we'll have the most popular dance partner at the retirement home, Paula Pan. And arguing for the defense will be OG. I'll be back in a bit with a joke of a trivia question. And now, a guy who will never retire from helping you stack your Benjamins, Joe Saul Sihai. And a happy Friday to you, stackers. Let me be the first one to welcome you. Sit back, relax, because now comes an hour of financial entertainment with this group of friends. And let's start off with the gentleman across the card table from me who brings it every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Mr. OG is here. Almost literally across the card table. <laughs> literally, kind of on yes. Kind of across the uh, the wall here. Here. Yes. Yeah, there it is right there. How are you, man? Living the dream. It is a beautiful Friday, and that means that Miss Paula Pant joins us. How are you? I am excellent. I love being the most popular dance partner at the retirement home. That That is a fitting title. That is that is her goal in life. Is Foreshadowing. Doing, sweetie? Yes. <laughs> How about that? And the guy who's wondering what he's doing back here. Well, what happened that after one appearance, he's back for a second one. Kyle Landis. I need to call him Marinara. You got to call him Kyle Landis Marinara because we did that last time, right? We have to do it again. Yes, you're the very first person to mispronounce my last name. Yeah, nobody's done that to mine either, brother. So we got that in common. So tell everybody who missed your appearance, and by the way, we'll include it on the show notes page, but it missed your last appearance. Tell everybody about your book because you've got a fantastic book about personal finance and investing called Shocker. Personal finance and investing. It's really little, creative there. So, so strange. <laughs> yeah. the, the subtext is what gets me, right? Yeah. Well, it, it does fit with one of the themes in my book is I talk about the biggest investment someone makes in a book isn't what they pay for it. It's actually the time they spend reading it. And so I do try to cut to the chase in the book and uh, 
make everything in there either a useful thing that someone can use in their daily life, a financial lesson of some sort, or uh, something that will entertain them as they're reading so they don't fall asleep while they're learning about money. And you live in the beautiful state of Vermont, which is an incredible place to be. It is, yes. I was lucky enough to be here from birth. And, you know, when you grow up in Vermont, you don't really want to live anywhere else. <laughs> Except, well, and it's good because you had a side helping of Ann Arbor, Michigan, which we always have to excuse you for. So <laughs> besides besides those years in Ann Arbor, Cal, I think you're a heck of a guy. So we got a, we got a fantastic show here today. We're going to talk about a lot of people think, you know, they, they just retired or they're thinking about retirement. And even if you're not retiring now, if you're retiring far in the future, how do you make sure that you're not retiring at the wrong time? Is this the wrong time? One blogger couple says that they think it might have been the wrong time. We're going to walk through a piece that inspired today's episode. But before that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, Staggers, is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nord, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do. A shout out to, he is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. All right, we got OG, we got Paula, we got Kyle. Let's get this party started. The inspiration for today's discussion comes to us from the blog Eat, Sleep, Breathe, Fi. Paula, have you heard of this blog? 
I, I have not, but I don't really uh, read personal finance blogs that much anymore. I'm not a big reader. There's not enough pictures, Paulo says. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, drawings or GTFO? I don't know. Did you dig into this, though? I dig into a lot of their stuff. I really like how personal it is and how they take these concepts, a lot like Kyle's book. They take a lot of these concepts and tell stories and their own personal story, and you get to learn from it. I mean, hallmark of engaging writing is, you know, make it make it connect. Uh, in the piece, uh, they start off by saying in November, they reach fire, which is financial independence, retire early for people new to this show. And my husband M, as she calls him, retired. Since then, the world has faced a lot of turmoil and she rolls out the turmoil. I'm not going to go through the turmoil again. I think we all know this specifically just how much turmoil we had. And in fact, it's funny. She goes over like eight different pieces of turmoil and then goes, but not just that. There's like five more. And then, you know, and on top of that, we have inflation and COVID and, you know, all this other stuff. So, so she walks through this being maybe a bad time to retire. And Kyle, as the guest, let's start with you. If you were thinking about retiring this last November, like they did, even as we're going to dive into some of the things that they did right and some of the things that they wish they would have done better, would you have retired in November? Well, you know, the article talks about a lot of contingencies that they built into their plan. And so if I had built in that many contingencies into my plan, then yeah, I think it was the right move to retire then. But I think the problem is the most people who are working towards fire are focused more on kind of when's the soonest moment that I could retire. And they use the 4% rule and they calculate that and they don't put in a lot of contingencies. And that makes it much simpler, much more straightforward. But if you're doing it that way, then when you hit the scenario we're hitting right now, you do need to step back and think twice about it because this is that one scenario in the low percentage of situations where people run into trouble with the 4% rule. Yeah, this is the thing, OG, exactly what Kyle's talking about is is that there's a, more than a few people out there, I'm sure, that finally reached this quote number where the math all seems to work out just perfectly and just barely. So they decide to take the plunge in November and then January hit and oh my. Yeah, I think we're talking about margin of safety right? Like how much extra do you need to like account for the fudge factor, whether it's the market not behaving or inflation not behaving, or maybe healthcare costs are higher than you anticipate, or maybe your uh, family needs some financial support beyond what you thought that you would need to do or something like that. So from a planning standpoint, I don't know that you want to say, okay, I need to get to a million and nine, 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 and a million I'm out. You probably want to give yourself just a little bit of a little bit of grace on the other side too, hopefully to, to account for that. I was surprised, OG, that when you said fudge factor, Doug's eyes and ears didn't even perk up because he's all about the fudge. You're going to have to rephrase that. <laughs> <laughs> Such a delay, which makes it even better. It does. does make, the, the 10 minute delay so to get to Doug is just, just so, so good. Just set the fudge right out there and let... Doug <laughs> marinated it. Yeah. Or oh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Oh, Paula, movie God to you. Is this what you worry about with, with some of the fire community as well? Um, I no, I do not. Chip, generally what I have seen is that with the fire community, by and large, the fire community tends to be very uh conservative in their planning. You know, they conservative they often, in their aggressiveness. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they, they tend to have met, you know, contingency upon contingency upon contingency. In fact, oftentimes in the fire community, a lot of people succumb to what's known as just one more year syndrome, where they believe that they need just one more year's worth of savings in order to pad yet another contingency plan. And then there's just one more year and just one more year. And pretty soon it's like it's it's added up to like an additional four years beyond what they might otherwise have been able to do. Now, I had a client back when I was a financial planner, Paula, that did that one year thing for literally like eight or nine years. Then he found out he got this diagnosis that he was dying, that he was going to die. His illness was terminal. And so all of a sudden, everything changed. They were going to finally take the trip to Alaska. They put off for the, all these years. They were going to they were, they were do all these things together because they thought they only had one year to live. Two months later, he gets on his third opinion. He, they find out that it was a misdiagnosis. The second opinion was the same as the first. The third opinion, they realized that it's something completely different. They can treat it and he's going to be fine. And guess what he did? He went right back to one year syndrome. He went right back to, well, I think I got to go back to work. And we're all like, no, dude, look at how your life changed the second you thought you were going to die. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. Not good. They go through they go through six different things in this piece that they looked at when it came to retiring in November. And they walked through them. And I thought that before our trivia segment, which for people new to the show is at the halfway point, we'll do the first three and then we'll do the second three after the trivia. So let's start here. Number one is, oh, gee, something that, uh, you know, academics talk about sequence of return risk. And she says on a scale of one to 10, she rates how they did, how they thought about that as a seven. But a big thing that she remarks is her net worth fell by a jaw dropping six figures. And this is what you talk about is the fear is not, you know, the market's going to blow up your plan, but you see it drop that much. And all of a sudden you're going to throw your asset allocation out the window. You're going to panic. From a retirement planning standpoint, you have to assume that this is going to be the worst case scenario, right? Because you don't know no one's going to retire today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's not a wave of people going, Oh, hooray, J July 1st, let's get out of here. Cause even if they can retire on July 1st, no one's going to do that. You know, staring at a minus 20 in the S and P so far for the year, you just drag it out. Even if you've got enough to Paula's point, you just, you know, you just go, eh, maybe I'll hang out for just a little bit longer. So, you know, when you retired uh, in November of last year, you retire January 1st of 2008, you know, before the, re the last really big recession, you didn't know that that's what was going to happen. And so you have to worry about if there's one thing to worry about, it's that you retire right into a bear market. And the way that you account for that is making sure that you have enough emergency money, making sure that you have enough cash on hand so that you don't have to withdraw money from your portfolio while the market's going down. Because that's really the biggest thing. Regardless of when you retire, whether you retire when you've got 40 years to live and you're 60 or you retire like these folks did in their early 40s and they're planning on a 60-year retirement, it's not about the market going down because that's going to happen. It's going to happen every five-ish years, give or take, until the end of time if history is a guide. It's about having to make withdrawals while it's going down. And the way that you insulate yourself from having to make withdrawals is uh, you uh, have enough money in cash to withstand that initial roller coaster ride. And if you do that, then there's no concerns whatsoever. But how much cash do you think we need reliably to get us through this type of thing? And when does there become a real risk that, you know what, I haven't put enough cash aside? 
So I look at it from a very scientific way. The average bear market peak to peak. So you think, okay, the market's here, then it goes down and it goes back up again. We're even money. You kind of go like, where's the even money time? The average time is 30 months. So there's going to be some times that are longer than that. Sometimes that are shorter. COVID was certainly a lot shorter than that. 2008 through 2009 was much longer. So you have to recognize you're not going to hit it at the peak. You're not going to know today's the day at the top. There's going to be some number that, that you're on the way down before you realize that you're in the down part. So we like to pick a dollar amount of the portfolio that you say, if this money never gets below this amount, or if it ever gets below this amount, I should say, then we're going to turn on cash from now on. And we're going to live through, we have two years worth of cash. We're going to live through two years worth of cash from that point forward, allowing our portfolio to stay invested, to stay disciplined with the right asset allocation, let the market do what it's going to do. On average, we should be really close to back to even money by the time that cash bucket runs out. So I would say you need to have two years if you're going to go into retirement and a dollar amount in mind. You know, I got a million bucks. If it ever hits 795, I go to cash you know, or whatever your number is. If you want to be ultra conservative to Paula's point, three years, but anything more than three, I think is, is uh, losing some money to inflation. Chris hanging out with us. And by the time that uh, this comes out, he and I would have hung out together in Salt Lake city, but we record this a little early. So Chris can't wait to see you. But, but Chris just said he pulled the plug in May and Chris, I don't know if you, or I don't remember OG, if you remember meeting Chris when we were in New York city, but Chris, how old are you? If you don't mind saying it in the chat, because we'll get back to you, because I, I don't recall OG Chris being that old. So this might be the story of Chris hanging out here with us to go, oh, maybe I did. May, May felt pretty good, though, relative to April and March. It felt like yeah. we were on the rebound. But like he says there, having three years of cash helps kind of smooth that out for sure. Joe, I mean, I don't know how appropriate it is to ask him that question, because he could be like me and just look staggeringly young and handsome and still be ready to retire. So I don't. I mean, you don't need to ask him that. It, don't, it, oh, Chris, you answered him. Don't, I, man. It, it turns out he is 40. He's he's yeah. 40 and pulled the plug. Okay, so he's he's a year <laughs> older than me. I mean, it's still okay to <laughs> he, he worked in the worked, you've been what 41 for the last how many years? 39. Years. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly this coming October, I think Doug has his uh what your 15th, 39th anniversary. I'm I'm sorry. There's lag. I has <laughs> got no idea. I think we'll move on. Kyle, this blogger couple handled it a different way. They didn't look at it in terms of cash on hand like OG did. They looked at it with regard to withdrawal rate and talk about this thing called the 4% rule that a lot of people in the personal finance space use. If you don't mind for our listeners, just dive into the 4% rule for a little bit and and maybe tell us what these guys did and if you like it or not. Yeah. So broadly speaking, the 4% rule, some other people call it the rule of 25. You take your nest egg and you figure you can start withdrawing 4% of that every year. And actually you can adjust up for inflation. And so if you have a million dollar nest egg, you could withdraw $40,000 the first year. And then the next year you'd withdraw $40,000 plus an inflation factor. And when studies were done on that type of withdrawal rate, in more than 95% of the scenarios, people ended up having enough money for at least 30 years of retirement and often for much longer than that. And so that's the basic 4% rule. Rule of 25 is just flipping it and saying, how gotcha. much money do you need every year? Multiply it by 25. And some people say, okay, I'm going to be more conservative. I'm going to go with the 3% rule. 
But there are just as many people who say 4% is too conservative. And I actually think it should be 5% and you'll be fine. And in my mind, that's actually a good sign that you found a good rule of thumb when it's getting criticized on both sides. <laughs> I, like, and they, I like that. Yeah. And and so I think what this article talks about is they have a 2.5% withdrawal rate. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, yeah, you don't need to worry about anything <laughs> that's going on right now. If you have a 2.5% withdrawal rate, then yeah, with the disclaimer, nothing out here is financial advice. But that's a very safe withdrawal rate that will likely be fine through any bumps that that come about. Paula, do you like what they did there too? In in terms of their withdrawal rate, yes. Uh, it's it's very again, it's very very conservative. So if there's anything to not not that I am criticizing it, but if there's anything that could be said about it, it's that they might be living more frugally than they otherwise would need to. But in the early years, that might not be a bad thing, right? I mean, sure. get your feet wet, make sure that you can do it, especially with what's happened since November. Like they got to be feeling pretty good. I would think if they retire on the two and a half percent, you also like your cash on hand, like OG talks about, you like kind of the marriage of the two, maybe being conservative, or it sounds like you might even be a little more aggressive than that. Yeah, I mean, I think that what OG recommended in terms of having a specific number in mind in which you you know that if your portfolio balance drops below this given number, you're just not going to touch it. I think that's a very good idea. And having that that runway, you know, the emergency fund, the cash reserves, the runway, whatever you want to call it, that allows you to live on cash. I, I think we all, during the beginning of the pandemic, when we didn't, when things were dropping severely. We had no idea that that this was going to be as short duration as it ended up being at the time back in March of 2020. Oh, that first one. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think at that time that really impressed upon everybody the importance of cash because a lot of the default assumptions that some people had about what they would do in the event that they needed to cash up went away at the beginning of the pandemic. So you, for example, you heard people say, hey, I could always just get a job bartending. Well, guess what? No, you couldn't. Right. right and so right. I think it it just further impressed upon people like nothing is a substitute for cash. I think we were all bartending the way OG bartends at the home bar. Right. Everybody during COVID there for two years figured out, hey, the home bar is not a bad thing. Heavy pours. That was my college name. For, right. uh, my name <laughs> of college. Paul, I want to stick with you for a second, though, because the third thing on this list is inflation. I don't really want to talk about inflation because we've we've talked about that here. You've heard about inflation everywhere. But I love this idea that they talk about in the piece. She didn't look at global inflation. She looked at their PRI, which is their personal uh, in, uh, rate, rate of inflation, inflation which mm-hmm. was which is super cool looking like what's my rate of inflation? Yes, exactly. And so that uh, is a fantastic approach because to your point, to their point, Sure, there's the inflation that's out there in the world, but then there's the actual impact that it has on your spending. And so they calculated their personal rate of inflation by looking at their total annual spending of everything except for travel, since travel is a that line item in annual spending that can really skew the results. They looked at their non-travel annual spending and just compared it year over year. Through that, they were able to see, all right, how much is our non-travel spending going up each year. And in their case, it's actually going down. Which is absolutely fabulous. Looking at all the numbers themselves and going, okay, I know the price of gas is up, but I'm traveling less. So I can, you know, uh, I know exactly what, what my issue is there. 
Uh, when you look at inflation, OG, I think that that this might be the solution for all of us. This this might be the reason why you track your expenses to look at your own personal rate of inflation. Yeah, I like it. I think many of us don't pay attention to the intricate details of our spending other than the anecdotal feeling of it seems like it costs more to go to Chick-fil-A now, you know, or it seems like it costs more to go to the grocery store. I do know that when we were at the beach a couple of weeks ago, my wife bought a box of Cocoa Puffs for the kids and it was nine bucks. So I don't know how much Cocoa Puffs were prior to all of this nonsense, but you know, we're going to go to Cocoa Wheats pretty quickly. OG household. If Cocoa Puffs are freaking nine bucks a box. So, um, (laughs) Did you see that uh, uh, there was somebody there on Instagram or TikTok or one of those places that that bought the the name brand cereal one time and then took the unbranded and just kept pouring it into the my wife my wife does that <laughs> yeah she 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 doesn't like the boxes so we have like these Tupperware containers which I've tried to point out is just a different shaped box in the <laughs> closet but you know. Yes, ma'am. Whatever yeah. you think is best, ma'am. But she, uh, she'll do that. She'll be like, uh, I couldn't find the good cocoa wheats or cocoa puffs, so we got the generic ones. I mean, the cocoa kids- puffs are a premium product, so I'm not surprised those cost nine dollars. Yes, yeah, yeah. Those are extravagant. It's like there's escargot and then cocoa puffs. <laughs> like those are those are the high end wine. We have bacon infused scallops and cocoa puffs, sir. Which would you prefer? <laughs> David hanging out with us as we're making the show today says, I bet Len's done a piece of uh, comparing Cocoa Puffs and inflation. Uh, I'm not sure that he has, David, but I bet he's thinking about it because he's just about to do another sandwich survey, which I'm so interested to hear the results on that one. By the way, if you want to hang out with us, we're just doing these live just during the summer months until September 1st. Hang out with us. We make the shows Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern on your YouTube channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the little bell and it will notify you whenever we either release a new video or that we're going live. All right. Uh, I want to end with you, Kyle, because I know we talk about personal finance and investing, right? What are some tricks that you use to make the budget work when people think, you know, people are listening to us talk about tracking expenses, having a good budget. How do I make that fly when traditionally it hasn't? Yeah, I think there are some simple things you can do in terms of day-to-day. The big ones people know about, not eating out, making more of your food on your own. (laughs) There's been one that's been getting mocked a lot on Twitter lately, which was an article that talked about a family trying to get by on a mere $300,000 a year. And it was written seriously. uh, Yeah. And they recommend eating more lentils instead of meat. And so that is that that advice is, uh, is that another, is that another financial samurai piece? (laughs) I don't think it was, it was, it was actually a national publication. So, I mean, that deserved to be mocked at the same time. I actually do talk in my book about a lot of environmental conservation comes with financial benefits and you know, if you step back from that article and just look at meat versus other forms of protein, meat tends to have much more uh, environmental impacts and tends to cost a lot more. And so there are some day-to-day things people can do, like cutting back on their daily meat intake that kind of are win-win-win. It's generally better for you health-wise, better for the environment and helps on the the bottom line. Um, That's not going to solve your problems if meat is what's causing you to have trouble living off $300,000 a year. <laughs> right, right. 
I don't think going to lentils is going to solve the $300,000 problem. Yeah, yeah. But everyone's been making fun of it. So I feel like I have to give a little bit of a defense. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, the big ticket items, though, are not your daily expenses. It's always the monthly expenses. And so what are you paying for your mortgage? What are you paying for your car? Looking at that and places to cut down on that, that's always going to have the biggest impact. We're going to dive more into spending uh, in the second half of this. We're also going to talk interest rates. We're going to talk about income during your retirement years. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break here because we have a trivia challenge going on all year long amongst our three uh, contributors, OG, Paula Pan, and Mr. Len Penzo. And Kyle, today you're playing on behalf of Len. And that's a good thing for you and a bad thing for you. Which one do you want to know first? Always the bad news. Well, the bad news is you're going to have to lead this off. So you're setting the bar, big guy, because you're in first place with nine. The other bad news is OG's hot on your tail with eight and a half. And Paula with six and a half can make this a very, very tight race if she wins today. So a lot at stake for everybody, which means we need a trivia question, Doug. Can't do anything without trivia. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Today is Canada Day, but you know, it's also joke day. So I think it's about time we combine these together, don't you? Come on, everybody, join me. Why do Canadian cowboys have sticky feet? Why? Maple stirrups. Because they got maple stirrups, that's why. You know, my sister told me, I don't even have a sister, but it works for the joke. My sister told me she didn't know the capital of Canada. I told her, you Ottawa know it. I love summer in Canada. It's my favorite day of the year. What do you call a person who got kicked out of Canada? A Canadian. Can Canadian. Can't. Okay. I just love watching Paula on all these. By the way. <laughs> in what regard is the USA better than Canada? Oh. The USA has nicer neighbors. <laughs> I got her! I got her! Yes! Yes! All joking aside, yeah, I know those were barely hey, jokes. As a Vermonter, I take offense to that one. Kyle's <laughs> <laughs> like, we're nice too. <laughs> do, do I need a passport to get into Vermont? <laughs> All right, all joking aside, and yeah, I know those were barely jokes. If you moved to Canada, you wouldn't have an IRA. Instead, you'd have something called a TFSA or a tax-free savings account, which is almost as creative a name as the title of Kyle's book. So my question is, what year was the TFSA created? I'll be back with the answer after I check if the rumors that there are glazed maple shortbread cookies in the break room are actually true dough. Yes. <laughs> and, and on that note, Canada Day and Joke Day. It's like the it's like Friday the 13th here in the basement. And by the way, Doug, it's the RRSP is the the equivalent of the uh, IRA. Uh, you're talking about the Roth IRA. The TFSA is the equivalent of the Roth IRA, not the IRA. But besides that, it doesn't matter. We're talking about when was the TFSA created? And Kyle, you're on the hot seat, brother. You're right there next to him. You should, as a Vermonter, you probably know this. You probably get all the Canadian news. 
Yeah, we do have better maple syrup than them. I'll, uh, I'll say <laughs> it's going to fight them yeah, over I, maple syrup. Yeah, now they'll never let me cross the border. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you that guy from that one show that said you have better maple syrup? <laughs> yeah, I actually do have some good border crossing stories Wait, if we wanted uh, to tell those in the after show. But <laughs> what, What's an after show? Kyle, how do you say the name of when trees bleed? What is that stuff called? <laughs> Sap. No, no, but I mean, like, then you get converted into the stuff that you put on your pancakes and it's syrup. What? Syrup. I bet one more time. <laughs> syrup. Yeah. Do you say salmon too? It's not <laughs> syrup. It is syrup. It is. It's, it's syrup. syrup. You said it's three syrup. Times right, Joe. Down you here, it's the right syrup. Way. What the hell are you talking it's about? Syrup. syrup. Down here, it's syrup. It's not. Can I get some syrup on the pancakes? I, I also love the idea that Doug thought that actual maple syrup came out directly out of the tree. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> it does. Opposed to the sap that needs with all to be the boiled. I'm, I'm surprised with all the tree looking Doug's done. He hasn't figured that out yet. That that's not a formula for. I did. I did notice the syrup comment it, also. It's a lot of syllables and. It still vowels. tastes pretty good. It's, I think it's Kyle pronounced went syrup. Puberty. Yes, yeah, pronounced syrup. 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 No. You enunciate. No, no, no. Syrup. No, no, no. Syrup. Syrup. S-E-R-P. Okay, I think. Syrup. <laughs> I've successfully uh, taken up the same amount of time Land normally takes, given his explanation of what number he's going to guess. <laughs> TJ hanging out with says, diabetes. It's called diabetes. I'm laughing at TJ's comment. It's Pronounced diabetes. Diabetes. <laughs> diabetes. As uh, what's his name says. Uh, what's that Wilford guy's Brimley. name? Wilford Brimley. Yes. All right. Enough stalling, Kyle. I know you've been stalling with this syrup. Uh, yeah, I I have no clue what year it was, but a lot of the impetus for my book was telling some entertaining stories about my dad. And yesterday was Father's Day. I, Sorry, that messes up the date this actually gets released. <laughs> so in honor of him, I'm going to go with his birth year of 1944. 1944. Uh, that's good. If you don't know the answer, make it a special year. You did that a couple of weeks ago, OG, with your grandmother. I did. Uh, yep. So, OG, you got 1944 on the board. What are you going to do with that? I can't give Paula anything here. Oh, it's so tough. Because I know she's Googling it because I can look at her on her phone. She's looking it up. <laughs> nope. And <laughs> so 1944 is That's so right. wrong. It makes me want to giggle. Um, <laughs> I think OG accused Paul of Googling it. So no one suspects that he was the I one like, actually Googling it. <laughs> I, he's not even. I like this, Joe. We need this is a new rule. We need to see hands at all times during the trivia segment. <laughs> I like this. Yeah. All yeah, these years, everybody's up, gotten Kyle. it totally wrong. You think guessed. we're going to start cheating now? Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> We've been doing this for 10 years. I think if Paula was going to cheat, she would have done it like in year four. She'd have done it already. Yes, right. So, if, of course, um, if anybody's seen the trophy, I don't think it's worth cheating for anyway. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my hands uh, in full view of the screen for the entire guess. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, 401k didn't come out until 1975-ish or something like that. And the Roth IRA, which this is like, is what, 98? So it's F, it's 98 or later. That's my educated guess. But uh, Canadians, I think Doug said, are a little slower than Americans. So Oh, my goodness. Um, Send- take a while. 
send your hate mail to OG at Stegovich. Take, take him a while to wow. figure it out. I'm going to give him 10 years later. I'm going to say 2008, 10 years after the Roth IRA. Gives you a nice big field goal there in the middle, Paula. It does. All right. So anywhere so. from 1944 to 2008. Now you talk. <laughs> this is the part where you fill. Fill her. All right. <laughs> okay. So my choice is here. I could either Chelsea Brennan, one of you, or I could take a guess that's somewhere in the middle, which allows me to capture a greater segment of that, that wide margin in between. I think I am going to take the Chelsea Brennan approach. And my guess is going to be 2007. Wow. She takes out OG at the knees. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's 2009 or maybe it's 1945. Because I, uh, I gave you the, the info on the Roth. <laughs> well, so, so what I know is that the Roth IRA was named after a senator, ninety-seven, a senator named William Roth. Uh, I believe he was a no, senator no, no, from- no, 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 no. We wrote about it in our book. It's David Lee Roth. <laughs> David Lee Roth. <laughs> yes, <laughs> correct. God. And I believe that he was a senator from Montana, perhaps. Swimmy, Children know this, and I think that he. <laughs> Is way off. A place where salmon flaw, uh, the salmon of Capistrano. <laughs> oh boy, that's not even. A, that's not even. <laughs> not the wrong species. <laughs> just, just, way out there. There are flying fish now in California. Just. <laughs> oh boy, talking Doug, about fish in Capist- in same in in uh, the fish of Capistrano makes me think you might be from Cincinnati. <laughs> Maybe. I am from Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. how about that? How'd, how'd you, how'd you guess? Right. Representing. Everybody's like, where's this going? I'm wondering where it's going. We need an answer, but we don't play that way. We're going to be right back. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to Uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, Track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash 
Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Kyle, you started us off with uh, 1944 and uh, nobody went for that. Yeah, well, OG showed that he actually had some knowledge on the subject. So, well, we don't know <laughs> I think yet. I'm in trouble here. <laughs> we don't we don't know yet, but OG, you feeling pretty good. It's got to be after 2009 now that Paula took you out at the knees. Oh, I do not feel good at all. I, I, I figured she was going to be like, that guy's an idiot. I'm going to say 1981. And then I'd have had a lot of space, but I talk too much. So there it is. Uh, Polly, think OG talks too much. No, no. He, in fact, not enough. Keep talking. Keep talking. <laughs> well, the guy we need to talk Said to see no who's, one ever. To see, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, the guy we need to talk right now to find out who our winner is, is Doug. What do you got, man? Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Well, 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 Canada. After years of strutting around with your free health care, showing off your young, sexy singers and entertainers that you keep exporting down here to the States with no sun damage on their skin because there's no sun up there. Look who finally decided to copy something we had going for us and hop on the retirement vehicle, huh? The TFSA is a tax-advantaged investment account. Sorry, this account is a misnomer. It's a tax-free investing account. But because you Canadians are so damn nice, we'll let it pass. So, what you need to join us in the tax shelter game by creating the TFSA? Well, the guy playing for Len was just a touch off by like 64 years. And Paula was off by two years, which means OG comes in as the winner only one year off because the TFSA was created in 2009. Congratulations. Paula, nice Chelsea Brennan. You Chelsea Brennan the wrong side. Wow. Incredible. If you would have taken the other side, you would have had him. That's shocking. I feel like you always have this great lead up and this fantastic logical conclusion, which is so close. <laughs> so, so close. Two years off. Just yes. two years off. Only two years off. Oh, gee, nice win, man. You take the lead. I'm going to text Len right now. <laughs> funny, how she was, funny how she was so wrong when we could see her hands. That's, oh, yeah, that's right. Misses it by two years. All right. Time for the second half of our discussion. Is it the wrong time to retire? Let's get back to that. Today's retirement discussion brought to you by Magnify Money. Kyle, you know what happens when you go to stackybenjamins.com slash Magnify Money? It helps you with all your finances. And it also reminds me of a family friend of ours. He used to carry Monopoly money in his wallet. And he'd go to a cashier and give them a $100 bill. And they'd say, "Uh, do you have anything smaller? 
and he'd pull out his Monopoly money. <laughs> that is so good. Yes, I do have one smaller. I have this little one. And did any, did anybody ever fall for it? That's the question. They they never took his hundred dollars of Monopoly money. Yeah, no. <laughs> this this site might be slightly more useful than pulling out the Monopoly money. You'll find that more than ninety two percent of the bank, brick and mortar banking products you use, like checking accounts, savings accounts, CDs, uh, not best in class. They have at Magnify Money all the online products available. Ninety two percent of them actually. So head to stackybenjamins.com slash magnify money and you'll see all the different choices you have so you can make a better choice when it comes to your banking options. All right. Speaking of options, we've got three more things, three more options when it comes to three more uh, triggers, I guess, to pull when it comes to dealing with maybe you made a mistake when it comes to your retirement. And next up is interest rates. Oh, gee, they used a like a uh, an accelerated mortgage program they talked about that really helped them get to this point and said that even without that, without interest rates being low like they were, they wouldn't have been able to get to fire as quick as as they did. What's this? The, the idea is going from a 30 year mortgage over to a home equity line of credit. So the amortization table works differently. You know anything about that? Well, it looks like what she was talking about was taking money out of her house, like equity and investing it. Investing it. it yeah. Which, um, you know, they've got a name for it in Canada. It looks like it's called the Smith maneuver. Yeah. But the maneuver, even because I clicked on it and the Smith maneuver uh-huh. also involves this idea of taking it out as a home equity account, aggressively pay down your mortgage that makes your home equity line of credit bigger which is amortized evenly, much more like a car loan or a credit card is versus an amortization schedule like a 30-year mortgage, and then taking that money out and investing it so you're paying a lot less money in interest. Right. (laughs) So your net worth doesn't change, right? All you did was just take equity from your house, invest it, and then you have a debt trade-off. So net worth number stays the same. You uh, now are invested in a whole bunch of stuff instead of one thing. But the thing that comes up with that is now you have a debt on your house. And if the stock market takes a crap, which it has, and uh, you do this too aggressively, you end up with no money in the stock market and also owing a whole bunch of money in your house. And then if you don't pay your house payment, the bank comes and takes your stuff. So, I mean, I've heard of it, I guess. But the comment that she makes later on is like, hey, our financial planner is very experienced with this. Like that is a big no-no. You don't take money out of your house to invest in the stock market. That is uh, uh, no good. So uh, I would not think of that as a really good option. But um, by the same token, technically, you should take all the money that you possibly can if you're just doing the math, right? Just doing the math, yeah. If you're just doing the math, you should be like, I can put a hundred grand in the market and those idiots at Schwab will give me another hundred grand on margin at 4%. So technically math wise, that is a smart thing to do. And I, I've even read articles of people saying that you should do that every time, even if it blows up in your face, eventually you should just redo it because eventually you'll work out the the leverage factor will work better for you. The longer you do it, the more likely it is to keep working. Or so to if work you go to the blackjack point. table and you go, I'm going to bet $5 and you lose and you go, well, now I'm going to bet 10 and you lose. And now I'm going to bet 20 and you lose and 40 and 80. Eventually you only have to win one and you've made all your money back and then some. But of course, the fine folks at Bellagio are onto that and they'll go, sir, the table's closed. You're like, no, no, it's down time for me to bet my $1,000. They'll be like, sir, the table's closed. 
And you're walking next door to the Mirage. And yeah, and then you're and then you're out. So anyways, this seems like a terrible idea. I would not advise this. Kyle, you agree? Uh, math or behavior here? So I'm a huge fan of the math. And actually, one thing I, I recommend in my book is actually making a spreadsheet and list everything, all your investments and all your debts by percentage in descending order. And it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. And then you uh, go by the actual number. So if it's a positive 7% expected return on investment, you put the seven near the top. And if you have debt that is 7.9% interest, you put that right above that. And that's where you put money is whatever is the highest interest rate, whether it's what you owe in debt or uh, what you expect to get in returns. So I'm, I'm a big fan of just going by the math. That said, what was talked about in this article sounded like shifting money around from and taking out like more sh- debt. And that gets a lot dicier than you're leveraging. And for all the reasons OG mentioned, that makes me nervous. But then I, I got further in the article. If I read it right, I think she said she's paying 1.3%. I mean, if that's actually the number in Canada, right, uh, that she was able to get, then yeah, that's basically free money. And so I, I understand the rationale for investing if you can get it at that low a rate. But certainly in the US, we're not going to see rates like that anytime soon. Oh, gee, do you pay off 1.3%? So our house right now is at two and a half. And when we refinanced it two years ago, I'm a big proponent of not owing anybody any money, uh, despite my best efforts to continually owe people lots of money. You tried as hard as you can. <laughs> I, I'm an expert at owing money, uh, but I'm very motivated to not. Uh, I just fail miserably at it. But when we refinanced our house, the math says, well, yeah, I should have taken that out at two and a half percent for 30 years. We did 15 because I want the freaking house to pay. I want my house paid off. The cash flow, the payment, like all the risk that goes into it. You know, you think about like financial independence and you say, if your house payment's 2,500 bucks a month, uh, which by the way is kind of the average house payment right now, according to the Wall Street Journal, 30 grand a year. How much money do you need in the bank? How much money do you need in your investment account to float a $30,000 a year house payment? You know, talking about fire, that's, you know, $600,000, $700,000 of assets that you need, maybe less if you say, well, it's okay if it goes to zero, if this part of this money goes to zero. But it's a boatload of cash. So it's one less responsibility. It's one less thing that, that you have to think about. And I know, I know at the time, everybody was like, oh, you should just, you know, you've got all this equity in your house. You just yank it all out and invest it. Guess what? I still have all the equity in my house. And I could still do it if I wanted, even though interest rates are at 5% now or 6 it's still technically a better interest rate than what the market would give me. But I'm, I'm happy at 2.5%. And to your point, should I pay it off based on where interest rates are today? I was aggressively paying it off until about 3 months ago. And about 3 months ago, I was like, hmm, maybe we'll slow this down just a smidge. So I don't know. I'm a hypocrite, I guess. I don't know, but under normal circumstances, Paul, on the Afford Anything show, you and I answered questions about this. And normally I'm about the behavior. Lately, I've been about the math. Lately, the math is Mm -hmm. so good in favor of the stock market that I'm like, let's do the stock market, but let's take this current market out of it. Just say Mm -hmm. regular time. Oh, geez, about the behavior. Kyle's about the stock market. Trying to point at both of them in our windows here, like the Brady (laughs) Bunch. Uh, Which side do you come down on on a normal market? A little bit of both, but I I more so come down partially on the behavioral side, 
partially on the we are cognitive misers and there's only so much that we can track and manage. Um, so partially on the energy management, you, you know, mental bandwidth management side. And so here's what I mean by that. I am not, in theory, not averse to the idea for all the reasons that you've discussed. And if you think logically, I mean, what is the distinction between not making a, assuming somebody had a mortgage, right? What's the distinction between not making additional payments on that mortgage and instead putting that money into the stock market versus what they're doing, which is pulling money out of their house. I mean, other than the transaction costs of closing a loan, one way or the other, it's opportunity cost substitution, right? So logically, even people who would criticize the practice of pulling equity from your home to invest in the stock market are the same people who might, in the event that their home is not paid off, might choose to invest in the stock market rather than accelerate their mortgage payments, which is functionally doing the same thing. That's the reason that I'm not opposed to the idea. That said, if there's a case where people are just doing better things with their time, you're starting a business or you're, I don't, it doesn't even have to be financial. You're learning a foreign language, you're raising a family. Like there are many instances in which you might opt for simplicity because you don't necessarily want to overcomplicate your life. And every time that you make some type of sophisticated financial maneuver, like the Smith maneuver that we're discussing right now, it just adds an additional layer of complexity to your life. And there is reduced life value that comes from that complexity or said a different way. There is enhanced life value that comes from simplicity. Doug is thinking there's reduced life value from listening to that entire explanation, Paula. <laughs> just, just, just look I'm at it. I'm so glad my phone vibrated on my ass because that woke me up. <laughs> uh, what's interesting to me is that Wes Moss, um, you know, I call it the Wes Moss study. It wasn't his study, but in his book about what the happiest retirees know. He says that regardless of the math, irregardless, I think, of the math, right, OG? Irregardlessness. Irregardlessness of the math yeah. of the mathy stuff. He uh, said that the happiest retirees pay off their debt. They're not leveraged. And so it's it's interesting, Kyle, because because I look at what the happiest retirees do and I hear the math. Like, I don't know, when I was younger, I was all about the math. The older I get, the more I'm like, pay off your damn debt. Yeah, and and you know, one thing that, I ran across that I really liked as an idea is when people are getting close to retirement, they often struggle with whether to purchase long-term care insurance. This is one of those things that the cost can be astronomical if you need long-term care. And because of that, that particular type of insurance costs an astronomical amount of money, especially if you buy it as you're in your older years. A concept I ran across was if you have your house paid off, that can be an insurance in itself in that if something happens and you need to go to a long-term care facility, your family has an asset that can be sold. You no longer need it because you're going to long-term care and that can be seen as kind of an insurance policy. This is like OG you, talking about how he's got the equity in his house that he can just use later. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you still owe a mortgage on your house at that point, then your family is going to be in a tough spot. 
Yeah, it's interesting. There's so many facets to this discussion. Speaking of that, we got two more, but I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on number six, which is spending. I think, Kyle, you covered that great, which your housing costs first, right? Look at your housing costs, then look at your auto costs, look at your groceries third. But I want to talk about this one, bringing in some income during retirement. Kyle, sticking with you, do you like this idea that this family decided, hey, you know, we could go back to work and we could make a little money on some part-time job? Yeah, it's definitely a, a much easier way to make the numbers work. And, you know, the other thing that a lot of people ignore when they're doing fire calculations is Social Security. I get why people ignore it. They are worried it's not going to happen. But personally, I don't have that concern. Yes, it might change, but it actually is a form of fixed income that in the U.S. everyone is going to, well, most people will have access to at some point. It just kicks in at a much later time. But yeah, if you're retiring early, having some form of income that you can do, whether it's consulting or a part-time job that you actually enjoy doing and you make that part of your retired life, that makes it much easier to make the numbers work. Paul, you like like, uh, some income coming in during retirement years? Yeah, I I think uh, having some income coming in is a great idea. I would just caution people to have multiple contingency plans. You know, like I mentioned earlier, what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic was that people who didn't have sufficient cash reserves, for example, and who thought to themselves, well, you know, if poop hits the fan, I can always just wait tables or I can always just bartend, found that they could not. Yeah, I love how a lot of the anti-emergency fund people kind of went away during COVID. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, oh, this is what we're talking about. Oh, gee, yeah. uh, I just like the fact that during retirement with a little income coming in, I don't know if you income coming in, but keeping the brain moving, right? You see these people that retire and they just stop do they just stop, stop oh, yeah. living. Uh, you got to do something to, to stay active. And, and there's a lot of talk right now, especially of people who are like right at the buzzer of fire, right? Like they didn't have any of that margin and now they've been out of work for three or four years. And now they're going, how do I get back into it? And I worked in this, you know, this technical space. And now I'm four or five years behind kind of the curve in terms of knowing what's going on in that universe that I used to be kind of intimately involved in and trying to kind of restart that, you know, it's much better to have never stopped it. You know, it's that big cliche of if you never work a day in your life, or if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I hate it, but it's kind of sort of true. I mean, if you... If you like doing the stuff that you're doing, like what's the point of not doing stopping? It? Yeah. Like go find something that expands on the thing that you're that you like, even if it doesn't pay anything or if it pays some nominal amount, you know, an honorarium, you know, to you're a tax person, go do taxes for a church or something, you know. I mean, they'll throw you a couple of bucks, you get a couple of points with the big man upstairs and you get to kind of stay engaged. Says the guy who's never understood the joy of not having to set an alarm clock in the morning. I haven't set an alarm clock in 15 years. Because the government trained you to wake up at 545 every day. (laughs) (laughs) You would know how funny that is if you actually, I mean, obviously you're being funny, but anybody who really knows me, (laughs) like knows that I go to bed at 945 like clockwork. And I get up at slightly after eight when my kids go to school. He is, he is grandpa OG. He is totally grandpa OG. (sighs) Look at the time. Oh my goodness. It's 945. Time for bed. 945, you kids. I got to go. 
Paula, I heard something the other day because you and I have had this conversation before The follow your passion is just baloney and this mm-hmm. garbage that yep. people that are already wealthy spew, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just, just, yeah. but I did hear something really cool that's related that I think might hit closer. And I wanted to get your take on this just to wrap this up, which is don't follow your passion, but there might be something in following your curiosity. Like if you follow your curiosity, then you're much more happy with all of these, these rocks that are going to be in your way and climbing some of the ugliness, you know, where follow your passion. Like, oh, I can't get passionate about uh, washing dishes. So I know what every piece of owning a restaurant is, where if your curiosity is how does a restaurant work, you're much more likely to wash the dishes. What do you think about that one? Yes, I'm a huge proponent of that one. In fact, in fact, I suspect that you heard that from me. I did I, I not. Often... Oh, actually, <laughs> I did not. I, I, I did think I do, of you uh, right away, which is why I'm bringing uh, it up now. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I do. I often say, uh, follow your curiosity. I, I've often said that to my audience. Well, there you and go. And where I learned that from was the author, Cal Newport. Uh, he's written many books, including a book about deep work. But specifically, that idea comes from one of his earlier books called So Good They Can't Ignore You. He, in that book, makes the case that passion is the consequence rather than the precursor. So if you are curious about something, then you start exploring that thing. And as you explore it, you become more aware of all of your unknown unknowns, right? The more you learn about a given topic, the more you realize how little you know about it because you start appreciating the depth and the complexity of that topic And so that makes you even more curious about it. And so eventually that curiosity morphs into passion. And so he makes the argument, which I very much support, that provided like minimum viable level of interest, just do something that you're curious about. And that curiosity will develop into a passion over time. I heard about it from a different reputable source that would have been maybe about the same time, maybe even earlier. So I wonder if, I mean, I just wonder who had it first, but we can talk about that later. Not a, hmm. not a big thing. What is a big thing is we can end the show by saying, stay curious, San Diego, right? Isn't that, isn't that a thing? <laughs> Let's find out what's going on where all of you work and we're going to have our guest of honor go last. Paula, what's happening at the amazing Afford Anything podcast? On the Afford Anything podcast, every other episode, some joker by the name of Joe Saul Seahide joins joker. me. I know, seriously, uh, joins me to answer questions that come from our community. So I've uh, never been invited. Uh, oh, <laughs> one of these days, I promise. Someday. Sure. Uh, you can listen to Joe and not hear OG on yes. the Afford Anything podcast. If you've had your fill of OG. With my macaroni and cheese candy canes. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. I'm wait. I'm waiting for that. Once those arrive, then oh, then we're talking. Then I'm a solid, maybe. Macaroni yes, exactly. cheese candy canes. Oh, gee, it's Fourth of July weekend. You got big uh, weekend plans since you're not in Canada and you're here in the U.S. Yes, uh, this will be our first Fourth uh, of July in Texas in a while. We're usually in Michigan by now, but my son did a week long trip and he didn't want to travel this weekend. So we're going to do Fourth uh, of July here in the great state of Texas at our house. And then, uh, and then early next week, we're going to head to Michigan for a while and, uh, try to try to get out of the heat. It's like 107 degrees here, which I don't mind, but it's, it's a little warm. I love how son kind of wears the pants and OG's family, Doug. Yeah, really? Who is driving the ship? I know my son doesn't want to travel. So I said, okay, I'm a nice guy. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) 
I told you guys before. He's like, a I'm, nice guy. I'm a nice guy. Speaking of nice guys, thanks for hanging out with us, Kyle. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, it was great talking with everyone. And I've got some camping trips coming up. That's going to be my summer. And our kids are now 14, 11, and 9. And uh, miraculously, they all still enjoy camping. So <laughs> we're still waiting for that trip where the whining uh, starts becoming nonstop. And they start asking why we always go in tents when their friends go to Disney World and fancy hotels. <laughs> But I like the fact, I don't know, I saw a picture of your Father's Day picture with your family. And it looks like you guys have managed to all get along still, which is fantastic. Yeah, you know, we, uh, I mentioned housing expenses earlier. So we're a family of five and a dog and we live in a uh, 1500 square foot house. So <laughs> we all do have to get along quite well. And actually, uh, just last night, another family of five came up from New York to visit us. And they told us yesterday morning that they were coming up and said, but it doesn't need to be a big to do. <laughs> You're like, we're going to have 10 people and our dog <laughs> in our 1500 square foot house, but we made it work. It, ju it just reminds me, OG, of some of those stories when you're in Michigan with multiple families. How big is that place? Well, I can count the cinder blocks outside and I have before. I believe it's 40 by 20 feet, not cinder blocks, because that would be <laughs> twice as much. Because um, I think the cinder blocks are two feet, each one's. But um, yeah, I think it's 40 by 20, 800 square feet. Yeah. Well, hopefully everybody, just make sure Cozy. everybody showers, Kyle. Make sure Cozy. everybody showers. <laughs> yeah. And then and then uh, your book is available on Amazon, I know. Uh, they can also get it at your website. Yes. And, and at your local bookstore, you can order it. It's uh, the second best book on personal finance out there it's after this one. Nice. So well done. Nice. So well done. It sucks up to the host. That's why we keep asking him back. Just right there. If you want to know how to get along with others, show, show the book. Yes. I'll put in a plug for your book, man. Fantastic book. Great stories. Personalfinanceauthor.com is where we go, right? I think. Yes. 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 And I'm on Twitter at, at PF Author. And chatting away on most days. All right. That's going to do it for today. Thanks for hanging out, everybody who's with us here live. Thank you for hanging out with us at home. Hope you have a fantastic holiday weekend here in the U.S. or just have a fantastic weekend if you're somewhere else. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, retiring at the wrong time, just create your plan and stick to it. Consider your spending, your personal inflation, and your withdrawal rate, among other things, and you'll be rolling with the punches. Second, lag can be a good thing in both your retirement planning and online recording. Both can be profitable and hilarious if you just wait a little longer. But the big lesson? Who needs Canada? I tried moving there after I watched Handmaid's Tale. They cold-heartedly turned me back, even though I was wearing that red cape and that white hat. I was drinking Molson. I was drinking your beer. Let me in. Thanks to Kyle Lando Macaroni for joining us today. God, what a delicious name. Is anybody else hungry? Landis Marinello, whatever. I'm going with Macaroni. You'll find Kyle's hit book and more of his writing at personalfinanceauthor.com or find his book, Personal Finance Investing, wherever books are sold. Thanks to Paula Pant for joining us today. You'll find her podcast, Afford Anything, wherever you're listening to us right now. 
Thanks also to OG for joining us today. Looking for good financial planning help? Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG for his calendar. This show is the property of SP Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is written in part by Paulette Perhatch, who helps writers power their words, their work, and their earning potential with her Powerhouse Writers Coaching Program. Find out more at powerhousewriters.com. Thanks also to our team who made today possible. Brooke Miller is our producer and also handles the show notes and our amazing newsletter, The 201. Tina Eichenberg and Gertrude Smith are our social media mavens. Not only should you not take advice from these Pop-Tarts, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. That's it for today. We'll see you back here on Monday at Stacking Benjamins. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. I love the fact that I just go to check during our little uh, break there, go to check my messages and OG is seriously already calling out Len. Len doesn't make it to one episode. (laughs) And and OG says, suck on that loser. Suck on that loser. I announced him as the winner. He's throwing shade. (laughs) Just already. Already. But uh, Kyle, I know that um, you've had some fun crossing the border. And by the way, Doug, nice job with the fake um, Molson stories, even though it is funny. Doug and I were crossing the border once and we had some Molsons that we purchased and the cross, the crossing guard, the excuse me sir maybe the guy got mad because we called him a crossing guard a little sign to stop or, or you were drinky then in elementary school we, we had like we had like five molsons left and doug is just sweating bullets and the guy who's it's clear because doug goes yeah we don't have anything and the guy's like, well, what do you mean you don't have anything? Doug's like, yeah, we don't. Have, but it's clear he's lying. I'm sitting right next to him. I'm like, oh, this guy can't. Hello, sir, state your citizenship. There's nothing in the car for you to look at, officer. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to pull right over there, please, young man. I was sure but, we're uh, screwed. And finally, Doug's like, yeah, we go, yeah, we got like five Molsons back there. <laughs> and the guy's like, get out of here. Just get out of here. Yeah. I didn't tell him that three of them were open. <laughs> He meant by five was he meant they're in the back seat sitting on the floorboard waiting to clear custom so that we can grab them again on the other side of the border. Because we got two hours left on this drive. No, kids do not drink and drive. Don't do that. But Kyle, you've had some border crossing experience. Yeah, I think the most exciting one was when I was in high school. 
there's a kayak competition happening up in Ottawa and that's where they yeah, really I, get crazy is a kayak competition, isn't it? Right. <laughs> nice flex. <laughs> so I'm at the world kayaking competition, you know, <laughs> as you do in high school. Well, it's uh, so going up there, there was a big group of us that were on a kayaking team and they all went up along with all the kayaks and paddles and gear and everything. And then me and a friend of mine, had to stay behind because I think we were taking the SAT or something, which I'll probably get accused of that being a flex as well. That <laughs> <laughs> so that the way it worked out, that my friend and I ended up driving up to Canada and we weren't old enough to drive. I guess that one really is a flex that I took the SAT before I was old enough to try. And I was a nerd when I was younger. Yeah, oh my still God. am. And I was going to say a lot's changed. A ton yeah. has changed. <laughs> and so it was two other moms. So not my mom, not my friend's mom, two other moms that were driving us up to Canada to go meet everyone at the competition. And they wanted to watch their kids compete. And the timing worked out. It was like one in the morning when we got to the border and the mom who's driving was really sleep deprived and she sees the car lane and the truck lane and she's like what do i do because she's driving a chevy suburban so really big suv and she knows it's on it like they're built on a uh a truck oh no like a pickup truck bed so she thinks so oh, maybe it's the truck so she goes in the truck lane and then she realizes oh no they mean like the 18 wheelers i have a car so she swerves over to the car lane. Only by the time she swerves over to the car lane, we've already gone past the border patrol. Oh <laughs> for no! <the> cars, <laughs> and now we've missed the truck lanes as well. And we just drove through the border, <laughs> and the sirens start going off. And uh, she pulls over, and we go inside. And she's trying to explain why she drove across the border without stopping <laughs> in either place. And then they start getting into what our connection is and I uh, realize neither of us are the kids of either of the women <laughs> who are driving across two, the Canadian two border. Older, one in the two morning. older women with two high school kids yeah. <laughs> breaking across the border. They're going to a competition. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we say we're going to a kayak competition. They're like, where are the kayaks? We have no kayaks, no paddles, nothing. <laughs> so it's so like we I've got held up for a while there. Several adult magazines. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, so, so there I was crossing the Canadian border. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought like a story like this would happen to me. Exactly. I was going to say, Kyle keeps rehearsing the story over and over about what yeah. really happened. Really? I was going to a kayak competition. Two yeah. moms. Uh, uh, all right. There's our border crossing stories. We got an elephant in the room though, which is that Paula Pant, uh, SUNY, the amazing uh, CEO of your team, uh, SUNY tried out this incredibly... Weird. Delicious. I think weird ass is a better name uh, for it. Ice cream. Delicious. Fantastic. Yes. Macaroni so, ice cream. Macaroni and cheese. Craft macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream. Yes. It is sold by, well, it was a limited edition. 
I tried for like weeks to get it. It was it was sold out everywhere. And I finally got uh, found one place where that was selling it. And I bought out like the rest of the stock. Wait a minute. Was, so there, I, thought, was there? I just wonder why you have trouble buying macaroni flavored ice cream. Is it because the line is so long for it or because yes. they're like, nobody's going to like this stuff except, you know, in this one Yeah, place. no, no. I, I went to the website. I put myself on the wait list for it. On the, uh, the I didn't list. even get it through that. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Doug I bought so much of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yes, I did end up finding some mac and cheese flavored ice cream. I bought out the rest of the supply. And then uh, when SUNY came to visit, I fed some to her and she is a convert now. She says it's, quote, not that bad. <laughs> which is which is the label that Ben and Jerry's wants on every flavor. Doesn't suck completely. It's uh, Van Lewin's is the yeah. brand. Van Lewin's mac and cheese ice cream. So, Gio, surprised when we when we logged in today, and you and Paula start talking. That what did you do? Did you see her on social media talking about it, or were we talking about it here one time? Like, how did you find this macaroni flavored ice cream? I didn't find the ice cream. I saw Paula doing it on uh, on Instagram, but uh, we were at the beach a couple of weeks ago, and the candy shop had <laughs> Doug was um, on the wait list for the ice cream. <laughs> w e i g h t. Nice job, Rick. Oh. <laughs> I have a lot of great border crossing stories. I, I wish we would have stuck with that. But anyway, so we're at this candy store. You know, they have the little candy ice cream places all over the beach and they have macaroni and cheese candy canes. So we got two packs of them, one for Paula, one for our family. And after opening them, smelling them and the slightest taste, uh, we threw the box in the trash. Um, but to be fair, they also had hot dog flavored oh. candy canes. So we didn't get those, but anyways, they're coming to Paula. You can, I can't wait. Best Christmas I, gift ever. I don't think they're going to be as good as you think they might be. I, oh, they'll be even better. <laughs> don't, I don't know. It's just, they might be bad. I gotta be honest. They're like based on the smell, like we thought it might be poison, but um, <laughs> so just, I disclaim any responsibility for your future health based on uh, eating these candy canes, but. You you can add that to the advertisement. Not that bad and will not poison you. <laughs> May not poison you. Might not poison you. Might, yeah. Will not with an asterisk. Your, yeah. your experience may vary, right? Yeah. Less so than 50% I, chance. So I mixed mac and cheese and ice cream once because I was making craft mac and cheese and I didn't have any milk and I didn't have any yogurt. I was like, well, what dairy product do I have? <laughs> Oh, ice cream. If I stir some only, ice cream, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah, only it was mint chocolate chip ice oh, cream. Oh, no. <laughs> that combo did not go well. Well, that's, that's a that's brilliant. a brilliant. I, oh. I need to try making a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese and then just layer in some vanilla ice cream and see what happens. I think, I think I'm genius. I think I'm with the look on Doug's face when it comes to that. <laughs> Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. 
visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. And you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers. Navy federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.